Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. I auditioned for Joey Jeremiah. Like, I was supposed to be this little Italian guy. <laughs> and, but they only had, the only roles you could audition for for this show were either Joey Jeremiah or Yik You. So, in retrospect, I'm pretty sure I would not have hired me for Joey Jeremiah. But let me just say this. I always had confidence in my performance. They obviously liked what I was doing. And uh, one thing I've learned from working from kids today, watch them at the beginning of the season and watch them at the end of the season, and you've got a very different actor. Look back at what Drake was doing in those first couple episodes. Kind of garbage. And then you look at where he goes. He's killer. He's so good on that show. But when he starts off, he's just kind of like he doesn't have a voice. He doesn't know what he is. And he's figured out that character over time, and he's killing it. So I think that's sort of like what I learned along the way, um, that I'm also not Joey Jeremiah, though. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz, live from the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival, having the greatest time here. If you've never been here before, you got to check it out. It's truly one of the most incredible places to see comedy, to mingle with a lot of people in the industry and a lot of great, great artists. Truly, truly special here. And I'm very, very grateful to all of you for listening. Those of you who are coming back again and again, thank you so much for subscribing and for sending it to friends and family and passing it around. It means a lot. And those newcomers, welcome. Glad to have you here. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Today's episode is really, really great. It's with Stefan Brogren. And he is an incredibly talented guy, great story, and I know you're going to like him a lot. And before I go on, I just want to thank you guys so much for all your support. I couldn't do it without you, and I'm really, really grateful for everything you've done to help make this show what it is today. Without further ado, I guess we should introduce our guest and have a great, great time together. Stefan Brogren is best known for his work on one of the most successful and iconic hit TV series franchises of all time. And I'm talking about Degrassi. 
Starting in front of the camera as the beloved Archie Snake Simpson, Stefan then found his love for working behind the scenes and went on to direct over 60 episodes of the blockbuster series. Throughout his time on the show, Stefan has had three nominations and two wins at the prestigious Canadian Screen Awards for Best Direction. Additionally, he won a Directors Guild of Canada Award in 2015 and received his fourth nomination last year. Stefan is also a very accomplished producer, receiving four Emmy nominations for his work. This year, Stefan has been working on a really great new series for Hulu entitled Holly Hobby as a director and a co-executive producer, and recently had a hilarious cameo in the newest Drake video, I'm Upset, which has a bazillion views. And he likes to think that gives him the hip-hop cred he's been so desperately wanting his whole entire life. Please welcome my guest today. What a great honor. We're going to have a great time. Please welcome Stefan Brogren. It's an honor to be here. I'm really excited for this. It's my first time at Just for Laughs also because I'm not officially a comedian. I'm not allowed to be a comedian because uh, I, I uh, live and love and date a, a comedian that is, uh, uh, has the rule that uh, if I ever get on stage, that, uh, that that's the end of our relationship. She's had her time with comedians, I think. She's just like, not, not, not that I think an actor is going to be any better, but uh, she's definitely laid down the law that way. Are there other ground rules that she's laid down? There's tons. There's tons. But that that's relationship rules also. But, you know, it's like uh, my my schedule changes with Michelle's career also, though, because, you know, she's a stand up. And I don't think I actually went to see like an actual stand up show for probably a good eight or nine years before I started dating Michelle. And watching her what her lifestyle is, is, you know, as all comedians, you know, she works at night and uh, and watching how she doesn't go out after the show because she's got shit to do all the next day that she's watching watching her really take sort of command of her career and making sure that she doesn't you know get caught up in the scene which i'm sure she did at one point but now she's been around the block so my girlfriend's been around the block that sounds terrible what ground rules have you set for her for everyone listening right now i just want you to understand that the michelle's in the room so <laughs> it's not one of those things i get I, i'm not gonna go nuts i think the the ground rules that we have are basically well first of all we committed to each other very quickly in the relationship. I think we were living together after three months, you know, maybe some people do it quicker, but like that was, and by doing that, we just, we, you know, Michelle's a very healthy individual and she makes sure that I get healthy too. So I, you know, when I was working out zero times a week, I'm now working out three times a week with Michelle. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's whatever my idea of what a stand-up comedian was going to, what her lifestyle would be is very different from the way Michelle lives her life. She's very, you know, she's vegan. I can't do the vegan thing, but I definitely eat better because of it. And she's a, she's the kind of vegan that also makes me a steak. So, uh, um, but, but the, you know, the ground rules are that we're, you know, the entertainment industry is hard enough. So let's just try to take care of ourselves and, you know, have a drink afterwards, you know, but like, let's go home. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a good rule. I mean, also the funny thing is, is that I work with teenagers a lot. And so I'm working on this level that is like, you know, I'm working with kids and she's working with drunk adults. So there is sort of a fine line in between, I think, where we have, where we meet and we go like, okay, so this is, you know, I, I obviously influence her life and she influences mine. One of my great friends is Peter Engel, who essentially mm -hmm. created Saturday morning television in right. the United States, was saved by the bell. And yeah. 
I always thought that Degrassi was kind of like the Saved by the Bell of Canada. In a, in, you know what? In theory, you're absolutely right. I think if anything, we're the we're the 90210 of Canada, but with zero money or makeup or hair or wardrobe. You know, I mean, when we back in the day, like you have to realize this is the CBC back in the 80s. That's when the, the show originally started. What was the budget of each show back then? I was 13, so they did not let me know. But let's just say, I mean, it was enough. I was making enough money to put me through school afterwards, you know, and put a pool in the backyard of my parents' house. It wasn't milk money, but but it wasn't it wasn't the the big time money. Our cast would be moving sandbags. Uh, with the crew to save time and money. That's the kind of, you know, we were our, we had no craft services. They, we, we would, they would take us in and like two or three of the cast would make lunch for everybody. That's how it was back then. It's a very different show in this day and age with Degrassi. It's, it's definitely become a like more polished show. And, you know, especially since like back then we were on CBC and uh, uh, PBS in the States. And there was a new version of the show where I became a teacher it was about 10 years in between. So it goes, there's Kids of Degrassi, which I was not on. Then there was Degrassi Junior High, where I played Snake. For the first two years, I didn't have a real name besides Snake. And they were like, we shit, we, this kid's sticking around, so uh, we should probably give him like... And they asked me, they said, first of all, I remember they, when I auditioned for it, which was this sort of workshop process. It wasn't a normal audition process. You know, you, you were coming in every day with like maybe 30 kids and they wanted to see how we would work together because it was going to be a fairly large ensemble cast. And they said, you know, you have a choice now. We want you to either play, um, would you like to be called Snake or Slim? And I was like, well, Slim is going to be awful. And Snake, I, what am I, a badass? Like, and my character is not a badass in the show. He's like the nicest guy in the show. The name makes no sense. So then three years later, they're like, we have to uh, uh, give you a real name. And what do you want that to be? And I'm like, well, I'm a fan of The Simpsons. And they're like, oh, your last name can be Simpson. And they're like, and I, you got red hair. You can be Archie Simpson. I'm like, whoa, 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 what? what? And at that point, I was just Archie Snake Simpson. So you started at 13 on the show. Right. There's times when you're working with kids who are between 13 and 20-something. Right. Now, my kids are 13 and 14, and it's a whole different world than when I was 13 and 14. There was a surprise party at my place, and there's these 13-year-old girls, and they're like 40. <laughs> and the rap that they're listening to and on the web, what they get to see on their smartphone yeah. is incredible. Yeah. How has the 13-year-old changed in your mind since you were in show business and on a set with a lot of people who got money quicker than they maybe normally would have, they got fame quicker than they normally should have, and now you're working with people of that age now? What's the difference? I, I like to think that we were little punks, um, that we weren't necessarily like this this good great group of kids i mean listen i'm still friends with a lot of these the the, the original cast and uh but we look back and we go like man we were we were we were trouble were we trouble i can't remember but and, you know i think there's something to be said about that we were just so grounded because we didn't have entourages of any sort now the kids on degrassi today or in you know in the, in the new you know in the new versions of the show come with agents and they come with publicists and they come with uh and most of them do some of them just come literally we we try to hire kids that actually don't have agents if we can we try to find kids at art schools with degrassi we always tried to in back in my day and and in the day that we in, now 
the whole idea of like casting age appropriate is really important because you can't and so i think sometimes it's better to have a younger kid playing uh you, you know you don't I, to have a 22 year old like i think that's sort of the 90210 model for a 22 year old to play like a 13 year old they've had those life experiences when you have a 13 year old that comes in onto the show let's say they've done a disney show before and so that might be their one big credit and they're coming into the show where on degrassi like chances are your character might have an abortion might be shot um, parents might beat you. You're going to do ecstasy. You know, it's a, and a lot of these things that are going on, these kids have not experienced. Now, when I did the original Degrassi, uh, Amanda Steptoe, who played Spike, the reason Degrassi, I think, got so much press back then, she was a 13 year old, 13 year old girl who got pregnant. And I think back then in the 80s, that was still a big thing. Bigger than it. I mean, and now I think it sort of happens a lot more in television. And she was a 13 year old girl who had not ever kissed a boy yet. And she was so, she was playing these emotions that were, really she uh, personal and shy to her you know she was not she was not necessarily like i've been through this and i've I, you know or i i i know what it's like to have sex even she had never had sex before so i think there's something to be said about finding people that are in there in that moment you know to that are for the for those storylines so when when it comes back to those actors who are playing those roles our kids are pretty like I, I gotta say they're extremely intelligent and we always try to make sure that they understand we want you to remain a kid but know your lines and show up on time so you have the responsibilities of a job but we still want you to be able to be a kid like i remember uh mary mcdonald who played my stepdaughter in the show when she started she was probably about 12 years old 13 years old and our whole thing on that set maybe it's just like it's canada and it feels like <laughs> really quaint but our big thing was just keeping sugar offset because we didn't want the kids to actually crash by noon and they would sneak sugar into their ribs. It was like their drug, you know, that's how, that's how qu almost quaint it was on set where we would have to go like, uh, let's keep the sugar offset because they'll, they'll all be sleeping by, you know, by two o'clock in the afternoon. And then you used to pass by their, their, uh, um, dressing rooms and they'd just sneak their head out there like Stefan and they'd have pixie sticks. They'd be like, Do you want to hit? <laughs> No, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. Knowing how illegal it was for them to have uh, sugar on set. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home. 
that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment, and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office, and everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. Hey, everybody. We have a sponsor that I'm so excited about. For Hims. It's a one stop shop for men regarding hair and sexuality and much, much more. It's common knowledge that we guys don't take care of ourselves as well as the women do. For instance, 66% of men lose their hair by age 35 but don't notice it until it's too late. But now there's a product that could prevent balding altogether. Forhims.com offers a wide range of products for hair loss, skin care, and other wellness supplements for men. Let's face it, a man's biggest fear is the receding hairline and the bald spot on the top of your head. Forhims.com will connect you with real doctors and medical grade solutions to prevent hair loss fast. And get this, the products you order can be delivered right to your door. So order now and get a special deal offered only to my listeners and go to forhims.com slash Barry. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash Barry and you'll get Get a trial month of hymns for just five bucks. Just visit forhymns.com slash Barry and get the deal of a lifetime. You can visit the website for full details. Take action today to prevent hair loss and other stressful men's problems tomorrow. I guarantee you won't regret it. As far as an American show that you'd think was as groundbreaking as yours, would you think it would be more like... Dawson's Creek. I would I would say that uh, Dawson was an effect of of Degrassi, but I think Dawson was also an effect of Nine Hundred Two and I think we because we were prior to Nine Hundred Two and We were the first we were the first teen drama where a parent didn't come in and save the day. As far as I know, Degrassi was the first show to do that. Up until that point, I think networks were very nervous about a family drama having a parent that didn't seem to be connecting to their kids and be or or, or a, a, you know I grew up with different strokes, right? You know, and those kids or facts of life. And there was always an adult that came and saved the day in the end and said, look, if you if you, you got to eat your meal, you're anorexic. You got to you got to they would say something that was just like the message is. And our show was the first, I think, almost operatic, you know, like a soap opera where our kid would get pregnant and they'd have to deal with that for the rest of their character's life on that on the show. There were parents that were negative influences, but there were some parents that were positive influences in the show. Absolutely. But the kid's first instinct is not to go to their parent and say, I was at this party and I had sex with um, with Joey and um, I tried I tried uh, ecstasy for the first time. That's that's not their intention. You're there. That's not their you know, in the real world. A kid's first instinct is not to go and uh, give up everything to their parents. I think there are those relationships. But, and we also want, yeah, we had really good parents on the show, but they weren't, they were, they weren't clued in all the time. They weren't given all the, 
you know, the ins and outs of their kids' lives. And I think up until that point, it had been a situation where that's just, it just wasn't shown on television that way. It was definitely a little bit more father knows best. And I think that was, that was something that was sort of the, the revolutionary factor of Degrassi in a lot of ways was to show that these kids are going to mess up. And the only way that it's, it's, they're not learning on the corner, but they're learning from their friends at school. And as much as you can be a parent that like wants your kid to succeed and be honest and true, they're going to keep stuff from you and they're going to have to live with those mistakes. And they're, you're, and sometimes, you know, we definitely have those times where they go to their parents and it's usually when it's too late after they've made their mistake, you know? So it's just about that process about how they got there in the first place. So, yeah, I think it has affected like Dawson's Creek is definitely in my mind, you know, it started off with Degrassi. Nine Two and was right around the corner, and they were in the, the in this. That was the you know super rich, pretty version. But those kids were making mistakes that no parent was going to be there for until it was too late. And then they had their parents to support them. Dawson's for sure, but they all spoke like they were in their thirties, right? Everyone, they, the dialogue was just so advanced that they didn't actually sound like kids anymore. They were like they were little geniuses. And I think it, you know, tell, I think by the time we got back to Degrassi, the next generation people were ready to see a more earnest version also where kids were just sort of like talking like kids. What was the first mistake you made in real life that mirrored the show? I mean, I, I took my parents' car out when I was 13. <laughs> so you took it out without them knowing? Yeah, they don't even know that I did that. <laughs> they can't listen to this. <laughs> I don't think they'll be listening. They're too busy vaping and smoking. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I think that was the first thing that I was like... It made it on the show really quick, but it also, I think we were all sort of, uh, long story short, we were all talking about how we'd all driven before. And then I, I took my, and when I say I took my parents' car, I took, we lived on a cul-de-sac. So I took it around when they were not around. Um, Pat Mastroianni, who played Joey Jeremiah on the show, had to one up me and they used to drive us in a van from the production office to the set, which was a good, you know, 15 minute drive. And uh, they were going to drive us back to the production office at the end of the day. And Pat's like, "I'm going." He's like, "I can drive this thing." And it's like, "What are you talking about?" So he's got, a, he's got a, a van full of kids. <laughs> he's 13 years old, and he gets behind the wheel, <laughs> and he started driving out of the place. And you saw PAs running after the car and opening the car door as he's still driving and pulling him out. And all of us in the back, I'm sure half of us were just like, this is amazing. And half of us were like, stop the car, stop the car, stop the car. That's, it seems that also seems pretty quaint, but that was the first time it made it the three episodes later, Joey Jeremiah and Snake steal a car. And, uh, uh, and you know, we've all tried marijuana. There was the marijuana episodes. When was the first time you tried a drug? Probably I was 15. I think the first time I like tried weed. So actually your character, was it very much like you? Well, I can't imagine that they weren't watching us and going like these, this is this, this is this young actor's set of skills. You know, Pat could steal cars from set. And so that became part of his character. I think that, I mean, I, I was by no means innocent, but I was definitely a little bit more fearful, I think, than uh, to, to get in trouble versus other kids, maybe. And uh, hence why my character sort of is the, the character that is sort of supposed to be the grounding unit in, in on the show, you know? I mean, I, I always love talking to people who 
are the grounding force in yeah. anything because it's so important. I just watched a scene with Newhart doing his first sketch with Dean Martin, and they're trying to do the thing about selling something, and Dean just keeps laughing. He just can't stop laughing. Yeah. And one of his lines is, what would you like? And the famous line that Bob Newhart says is, I'd like a straight man that doesn't keep laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Your character is very, very important because people want to know, okay, what am I supposed to do? What kind of person am I supposed to be? Like I always say to my kids, hang out with the people that you want to be like mm -hmm. in your life later on. Don't hang out with the people you want to be like or you look at now because it's going to take you in the wrong place. Yeah, I see. I, I, at the same time, I would also say, like, I, I don't think anyone ever watched the show and wanted to be Snake. Everyone wanted to be Joey Jeremiah because Joey Jeremiah was the catalyst to getting into trouble. And, the, the, and we always used to joke that the episodes used to go, hey, Snake, let's go steal a car. No, Joey, that's wrong. Come on, Snake. Okay, Joey. And like two seconds later, they're stealing a car. So it, it, it was, uh, I think, yeah, so Snake was supposed to be sort of a bit of the moral compass of the show and at the same time would still end up getting into trouble half the time because of the friends but you were the person who people looked at and said okay if i were in this situation i wouldn't do that yeah but he's doing it it's almost like you create these lessons what's interesting though is that when when snake grows up and he becomes the a teacher and a principal at the school it's like he learned nothing from his childhood and it's like i find that snake became a much worse he he made more mistakes as an adult than he ever did as a kid like the the character has an affair as a as an adult um at one point he's got a drinking problem at one point he's being accused of uh uh, sexually assaulting one of the students. So his life is way harder as an adult, even though he lived this very charmed young life as a kid, you know? So it's it's interesting that, like, where where they took that character, considering it's like, I was an angel as a, as a teenager. It didn't make a difference when he was an adult. Why do you think the people involved in the show made that change with your character? Probably good drama. And it might have served you as a person then professionally as an actor, like, I finally want to do something like this instead of the other thing. But then it wasn't true to the character. Were you conflicted? Um, not really. I mean, I, I think, you know, if anything, I was just like, can I get some screen time with these kids? <laughs> can I get on screen a little bit more? So I was happy when they would come up with stuff that was actually, you wanted, to, listen, you know, everyone wants to do the stuff that's got a little bit of edge to it at times or has got some sort of, sort of real drama happening. So when they're like, hey, we want to get that, you know, snake drunk on the couch, you know, with mustard all over, well, all over his chest from a hot dog he's been eating. And, and, and I'm like, I'm all for that. That's amazing. You know, I, I also think that the idea being that Degrassi is supposed to be about teenagers. And if we're going to follow a couple of the adults who are now, who used to be teenagers on the show, we have, we can't treat them like the know-it-alls. They have to be the ones that also are, are conflicted, make mistakes, make, make it a home that maybe this, the stepdaughter doesn't trust him. You know, he's not he's not responsible enough, mom. He's like, I whatever that might be. It adds it adds drama, you know, and and uh, I was always for like that. Let's let, you know, put let's turn the character on his head. You know, let's 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 uh, the the most frustrating part of my character, I think, was by the time he became principal, he became such you just see this tired man who has just been because the, the joke is if you go to Degrassi and you survive you can do anything you you your your life is going to be smooth sailing because it's we it's probably the most dangerous school in the world you're gonna get an std or a shot
and you and and so to have an adult that's like having to oversee these kids that are constantly running down the hallways naked on ecstasy that's all i feel like we've done that episode three times that it's uh uh he's worn out by the end and so the joy that was the one thing i always i was sort of not crazy about especially in the last years was that you know snake was definitely a broken man as far as these kids were concerned where he used to be, want to be their friends and now it's just like can you just not get a girl pregnant please this week I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the air doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the air doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. I see a lot of myself in you. You have this thing that's probably one of the most desired things for casting and show business. Straight women love you. <laughs> Gay men love you. Gay women love you. When you're like a gentle giant and you talk softly and you have this thing where all kinds of sexualities are attracted to you. I, I take that as a compliment. Did you always know you had that quality? Uh, I, you know what? All I know is that you're a young kid and you like a girl or you like a guy. And, I, you know, I had friends that are, are A-types. And I'm definitely not an A-type in that. Like, I, I have goals and I have dreams and I have, I have ways that I want to get there. But I don't know. I think there's something to be said about being kind at times. And and I think that goes a long way with women and with friends and friendships and in business. And there's times where, you know, I've, I it, if I find myself having a temper, I'm always sort of disappointed in myself a little bit, especially afterwards. Because I don't think it's an attractive quality to have. Um, but I would agree with what you're saying that, that it is that sort of strange middle of the road thing where, where I like getting along with people. I like having, like, I, I'm not big on, on having a lot of, uh, tumultuous relationships, if that makes sense. I have friends that do that for me, you know, and relationships like I, and you've interviewed Kenny Hotz and I, I'm partners with Kenny Hotz in a business, you know, and he's a very old friend of mine and he's a, he's a bully. <laughs> <laughs> but I love him to death. And so he takes care of that. He's my, like, in a lot of ways, he's the yin to my yang, you know? So I can be who I am. Like, can you, I mean, I, can you imagine me hanging out with Kenny Hotz? You got the dog and the bear, right? Yeah, it's called the dog and bear. Super successful sports bar. And what was the second choice of the name? <sighs> I, I don't think we had one because it was always oh, our British partner. We have a British partner whose dad owns a pub back in uh, back home in England called the Dog and Bear. So we were going to be the sister sister sports club, and uh, 
I don't know. Kenny probably wanted to call it the, the Hots Club or something terrible. I was probably going to say, let's call it the Snake Pit. <laughs> something even worse. When's the last time you lost your temper? I can't really think of a uh, like. I don't. I'm. I don't know. I think there have been times where where. I get like, I, you know, you just get bad news and I know Michelle can be like, it's okay. I'm like, it's not okay. It's not okay. And I'll, I'll freak out on her or something like that. And when I say freak out, I just like raise my voice and she's like, whoa, because that's not my temperament. You know, it's not the way I usually, I, I like to roll. I think on set every once in a while, I've, I've, I've found myself frustrated with either a performance or something on the crew and you know they got a voice of god so you can scream at people or you can hear people you know building a set when we're, we're rolling you know two sets away you're just like can you keep the goddamn thing down please and then just like screaming into the mic and i i'm always i but it's i also find it's very effective because i'm not that guy like i think i'm i i tend to yeah i'm not i'm not one for a having a shout out fight and and i'm more i i do probably go inside more than anything let's do a little pretend thing here you're directing a lot of things now. So you're a director, you're directing, but we back the future. We go back in time to your test when you were 13. You're in the room watching all the people that came in that auditioned for that role of Snake. <laughs> Would you have hired you, an unknown actor who never did anything on television before, really? Yes, but they wrote the role for me. So it's hard for me. To, I, I'll, I'll expand on this idea that you have, though. I auditioned for Joey Jeremiah. Like, I was supposed to be this little Italian guy. <laughs> <laughs> and But they only had the only roles you could audition for for this show were either Joey Jeremiah or Yik You. So uh, <laughs> in retrospect, I'm pretty sure I would not have hired me for Joey Jeremiah. Um but I let me just say this. I always had confidence in my, in my performance. And I, I they obviously liked what I was doing, auditioning for Joy Jeremiah, that they said, hey, you want to be the tall, lanky sidekick. And I, I think that I like to bring things into... I, I try to get my young actors to perform in a way that I think that is sort of loose and off the cuff and so that they, they you know, that try different ways. That's what I was always taught when I was younger. And... I don't know. I kind of look back and I go, <laughs> okay, that's not true. I look back at performance sometimes when, uh, on some of those episodes. I'm pretty fucking awful, but it's, uh, but, but there was something there obviously. So, and uh, one thing I've learned from working from kids today, watch them at the beginning of the season and watch them at the end of the season. And you've got a very different actor. And if you can give them a shot and that's what always we try to do under, uh, at least on Degrassi was like, these kids are going to grow and they're going to grow fast. If you look, if you look, look back at what Drake was doing in those first couple episodes, kind of garbage. And then you look at where he goes. He's killer. He's so good on that show. But when he starts off, he's just kind of like he doesn't have a voice. He doesn't know what he is. And he's figured out that character over time and he's killing it. So I think that's sort of like what I learned along the way um, that I'm also not Joey Jeremiah. Though. All right. I want to go way, way, <laughs> way, way back. Take me back to where you grew up, what your family was like, and what was the dynamic economically. And what was your first inspiration growing up to get in this crazy business 
Right. So my dad is from Sweden. He came here as a foreign exchange student when he was about, about uh, I think he must have been 19 years old or something. And uh, uh, he met my mom at a University of Toronto football game, but she had a, she had a boyfriend and he went up and asked her out. And I don't, I'm not sure how great his English was, but uh, she's like, I ha- I'm sorry, I have a boyfriend. And he, he was like, oh, I'm, I apologize. And he ended up not seeing her again and then going, moving back to Sweden after school was finished and then he ended up getting a job uh, for a Swedish company called SKF that makes ball bearings back in Toronto and I'm not sure where he was he might have been at another game at the school when he came back but my mom saw him and came up and she said hi do you remember me I don't have a boyfriend anymore and uh, and you know this is back in the 60s they lived together you know for a couple years and that could that could be the Scandinavian my mom is a small town girl from Belleville she's first generation from my grandparents were from Wales and uh, they had a little apartment, I, you know, when they my mom was uh, working in advertising a little bit. Um, she was the face of Canadian bonds at one point. And uh, they were kind of super beatniks. Like I have a picture on my wall of them from a toga party. And it's it's like you couldn't have more of an obvious, you know, 60s couple, you know, um, my parents grew, my, my parents had a marijuana plant, but it was declared illegal in Canada at one point, like actually illegal to have, you know, cannabis, marijuana of any sort. And uh, my dad came home and, and threw out all the plants because he didn't want to have to leave. He was, I think that was his big fear, you know? So, um, I grew up in a fairly normal middle-class family in Leaside in Toronto, later in Don Mills. Uh, it's really funny because like my parents, I don't think knew exactly. My dad was from Sweden. I don't think they knew exactly what to do with young kids. I think the instinct in Canada is put your kids into hockey. And they didn't. They put me and my brother into figure skating. And, uh, you know, and I, it was one of, and we were good. <laughs> you know, as little kids, we were really good. And it put us in a situation, though, where we were getting beat up a lot by hockey players. And I wouldn't take it back in a lot of ways. It's one of those things like we got, they got us, the, my, my figure skating coach was also a cop. I didn't know that hockey players beat up figure skaters. When we would come off the ice, I think there's a lot more mutual respect than there was back then, you know, but kids are kids. And so it's like, we're the kids that are doing the, the, the girly sport as far as they're concerned. And we're in, you know, and, and at one point they're, you know, the, our, my dad, my mom at this point was becoming the, the president of the skating club and was like, you have to protect yourself. You know, so they're putting you in karate and everything to try to like make you feel like you can handle yourself in this situation. And then one day I had to tell my parents I really hated it, that I did not enjoy it. It was not something that I wanted to do. And I don't think they knew what I was supposed to do. I, I think that at one point my teachers, though, were starting to say, you know, he writes these little plays and he does these. He does. He's really good in English. And, you know, he seems to be in all our little school plays. Do you want, we want to submit him for this school for the arts called Claude Watson. But you had the start getting in the plays somehow. Why did you start doing that? I don't know exactly why. I think there's a little bit of like going like, I, maybe it was the figure skating. I'm not sure what it was, but I actually, I, I like being in front of a crowd. I like performing. And I think I did as a little kid, I think. And like I was, I think I mentioned before, I, the, my, my childhood acting role models were 
like Gary Coleman and the kids on eight is enough. And I really, you'd see them on the cover of TV guide and it seemed pretty cool. You know, there's that, that part of it. And, but also you want to have that high school, you're sorry, you want to have that, that little kid life and your friends aren't really doing that sort of thing also. And so I, I was, I was asked to go to a school for the arts and I didn't want to go. I, my mom was like, she's like, I went and saw the school and it's just like fame and the kids are dancing in the hallways. I'm like, I'm not going there. You can't make me go there. I'm not leaving my friends. And they were just like, well, you just go and audition and see if you actually like it. At this point, it really has just been little school plays. So you're just doing the plays. Do you feel like you're good in the plays? I feel, I remember I wrote something that was, a, and they, they put it on in the fourth grade. And there, it was a, uh, it was going to be, it was a Christmas special. It was supposed to be like Scrooge, but basically with our, our grade four class. And I gave each one of them a personality that was sort of their thing. And they all came up from behind a, you know, a cardboard, uh, tombstone. That's as much as I can remember from the story. I don't know what the hell it was about. Um, anyways, I went on audition for the school against my will. Cause my mom was like, you should just, they want you to come try it out. And I, I fucking fell in love with it. I just, I, like, I just saw all these kids that I suddenly related to in a way that I never had before. And like, whether they were dancers or artists and the school was only 60 kids for every grade. My mom really wanted me to pursue it. My dad's basically a mathematician. Like he's in science, he's in computers. And, and I, he never at one point told me that he was against it. If anything, I think he was like, I think it's good to have, you know, options. I think there was a point also where my dad, my dad several years ago did tell me at one point he was very scared for me as far as my career was concerned. Like, where does this go? You know, what are the possibilities, especially, you know, in Canada, but that was, you know, it was, I, I, all I know is that he never, no one ever, uh, dissuaded us from doing it. My brother got into the school for the arts at the same time for art when he was in the fourth grade. And, and once again, it's one of those things that they never dissuaded him to be an artist, which is even worse in a lot of ways, as far as like, can you make a living off that? He owns a CGI company now. He's a special effects guy. And it's like, they, by letting us pursue that stuff, it was pretty incredible. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Wondery. Check out their lineup of some of the greatest podcasts in the world at Wondery.com. And Aquatru, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world.
and Good Company, an extraordinary web series on YouTube that host Scott Bowling created, where you can watch music interviews with incredible artists talking openly about their journey in the music business. If you like a great in-depth music interview where you can hear about each album in chronological order and what the artist experienced along the way, this is the show for you. Interviews with incredible talents like Michael Sweet from Striper, Clinton Lejean from Seven Dust, Brian Head Welsh from Corn, Elias from Nonpoint, Mikey from Islander, Sonny from POD, and Rich Ward from Fozzy and Stuck Mojo, just to name a few. Check out Good Company on any social media outlet under Good Company with Bowling or go to www.scottgoodcompany.com. And finally, Boku Superfoods, the purest, most potent, and delicious certified organic, kosher, and vegan superfood blends on the planet. Boku Superfood is changing the game for thousands of people in 65 countries with their incredible formulated powers that you just add any liquid to and make the healthiest drinks or smoothies in the world. Just go to BokuSuperfood.com. That's B-O-K-U Superfood.com. Look for the three-pack trial. Enter the promo code Barry at checkout. Just pay a minimal shipping fee and get a full week's supply of Boku Superfood for free. I guarantee you'll look and feel better and understand why Boku is the number one family-owned superfood company in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. It's very hard for me to give advice to young actors because at the same time as I've, I know I've been lucky in my career and uh, uh, the disappointment and, you know, rejection is so huge for, I, I think it could be very wounding to some. You got to be a strong individual, I think in this, as you know, in this industry to, to pursue it constantly over and over again. And uh, I, I would say that your best bet when you come into audition is if you, if you're going to explore something, you can do it in the room. I, I just, I don't want so an actor to leave their feeling that they have to force themselves into a corner to try to be what they think they're supposed to be. And I just want to let you know, I will be at the Boston Comedy Festival the first week of September. Just go to laughboston.com and you can get tickets. I'd love to see you there. It's going to be a great, great time. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. Cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.